Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. folks and welcome to this episode of the prestige a podcast by two film lovers for hopefully more than two film lovers out there my name is rob i spent most of my life working in the british film industry i've worked on everything from little low budget horror movies all the way up to big impressive marvel movies and my colleague on this podcast sam my co-host is a man who has studied more in the last year than I have in my entire life. He's a man in books. He has many degrees. He has many qualifications that I do not have. The idea being that I can bring the practical experience making the movies and Sam can bring the theoretical knowledge of how stories work and how literature works and how ideas are formed. And between the two of us, we pick a film, we review that film, talk about some of the themes and ideas and motifs and our reactions to that movie. At the moment, we are doing our fifth season. We're doing a world tour and we're making our way up through Latin America. And we'll always end the show with further reading, as we call it, but recommendations based on the movie of the week. But we always start with what else we've been watching. It's been a couple of weeks since we last recorded, Sam. What have you been watching in the interim? It has been a couple of weeks, and I've got quite far into a series which I've enjoyed whilst knowing that it's of very little merit. It's the... um, 2017 to present series Money Heist, and it dips significantly of the first season, but it feels like. Do you remember what Prison Break was like back in the first season when you thought, "Oh, this is a great premise. This is actually really good," and then you see the sequel, the second series, you're like, "Oh, right, more of the same, and it's rubbish." So it it has hmm. that the sort of immediacy of of prison break in the first season and and I quite like that at the start and it's it's I mean it was incredibly gripping the first season still fairly good the second season I'm sure it'll start I mean there are five so I'm sure it'll tail off but yes that's that's what I've been watching this week I find that's a common problem with a lot of shows is that they kind of want the second season or the more things to be Mm. the same but not too much the same it's a thin needle to thread of like you want to do something, but it's like Prison Break is a great example. It's like they've broken out of prison. What now? Well, they're back in yes. prison now because they don't know yeah. the game. So, yeah. Uh, I would say that my, my watching has been even more lowbrow than yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I have watched uh, this last week a 1979 exploitation movie called Malibu High. Malibu the High is like, if you look at the poster, it's kind of pitched as a kind of like a like a sex comedy, like a Porky's, like an American Pie. You know, it's got a girl in her underwear, you know, coming on a beach and behind her all the men. But in reality, the movie is so bleak. <laughs> um, it's about this girl who's flunking school. And so she decides to become a prostitute to pay her way and sleep with teachers. And then she becomes a mob hit woman. <laughs> and not in like a fun, silly way. Like, like she's just like killing people for money. And fun. Sounds lovely. And she like, kills, and then she ends up like, in a sh- like it's one of those movies where like I got the poster because thinking it's this kind of you know, epitation movie. And it's, it's 
it's just not it's good like it is very much i say good as always with Revelations, it comes with the caveat that i like exploitation movies i like these kind of schlocky gory horrory exploitations of films so with that caveat i think it's good it may not be for you but it's good fun and it is just like you've got to enjoy the twists and turns of how this girl's life who is only like 17 in the show um how she ends up as a mob hit woman on the run whereas an hour and a half earlier she was worrying about her grades so it's uh it, it was fun i've also finally seen black widow uh the latest marvel film which was good right is and it, that was it is that the one that's on disney plus yes yeah it's fine like i like scott johansson i think the supporting cast are great it was fine but when you've got a movie that's set between two movies that are already out, mm. like nothing revolution gonna happen. It was it was fine. It was a good time. But I can't see me watching it again in a hurry until I get into like a full Marvel rewatch. Which two is it between? I think it falls between it falls between Captain America Civil War and I think Avengers two, Avengers three. Yeah. She's on the run, having had the Civil War. Right. And then, yeah, there's some between then and the next film. So it's not a long time. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where that story takes place. It's fine. It's good. It's good. But it's, it's, you know, it's in that same way that you know a Marvel film, it's just going to be good. No, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It was fine. So our film this week is the next stage of our journey through Latin America. We're taking. We've been doing various things throughout this seasons of the podcast. Now into our fifth season, we're looking at taking a trip around the world, a virtual trip around the world, starting with South and then Latin America. Um, so the next stage on our Latin American journey is in Brazil with the 2002 film City of God. Nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay. Rio de Janeiro, the beach, the nightlife, the romance. But 15 miles from paradise is a place called the City of God. A place where one man must infiltrate a war between two crime lords to tell a story the world needs to know. City of God, as I said, 2002, it was released in Brazil on general release worldwide the year later, and it was critically acclaimed for its portrayal of um, crime in the cities in, in Brazil. It has a very good cast of, so that uh, that's bearing the least light. I should, should mention up front that I love this film. Um, it has a surprise yeah, um, a cast of largely unknowns um, in the principal roles and yeah it tells a number of stories around um, a region of Rio called the City of God it's a particularly 
poor slum region of the city of God of Rio de Janeiro. Um, so, Rob, what are your thoughts? No, I haven't seen this movie in nineteen years, probably. I saw it when it came out. I saw it at the cinema when it came out. Um, because at university time, and I had an art house university that did these kind of movies. So I saw it on big screen. And I haven't seen it in that interim. And I will say, I don't clearly don't remember this film very well. Um, once again, I'm burying the lead here a little bit, guys. I like this film. This film is a very, very good film. It's a very, very powerful film. I don't think anyone can watch the movie and not be deeply affected by it. I think this film has fallen foul a little bit of my current mindset of being tired of watching movies about bad people do bad things. Right, yeah. Because this film is the worst people doing the worst things. There, there, there's a... We're going to get into spoilers straight away, guys, because it's hard to with the movie. There's a scene halfway through in which the runts, which are these group of kids, uh, are cornered by Lil Z, and one of them is... Sh- one of Little Z's like younger friends is forced to kill one of these kids. That was horrific. Since watching this film first time and now, I have a kid. Sam has kids. Like we, we, all of my friends have kids, and you try and not be coloured by all this stuff so much, but you do. You just see your own kids in it, mm. and that was particularly brutal. And a large part of this movie are incredibly brutal to watch, but that is the power of this film. This film is one of those ones that really nails that fine line between sort of artifice of movie and reality documentary. Mm. Like it has a lot of artifice. It has time jumps. It has flashbacks. It has, there's a whole shot in which you see the apartment. The apartment goes from owner to owner to owner. And it's a lovely, lovely, beautifully shot. It has a lot of artifice to it. The movie does. But it's still somehow so grounded in this reality of these kids' lives. And they are kids. They're all kids. Mm. And it is, it's not even like a car crash, but it's just so powerful to watch. And you just know that it's a tragedy delayed. Like there isn't, there isn't a happy ending here. Although obviously our narrator in theory gets out and, you know, makes a life for himself as a photographer the costs of getting there are massive. Mm, yeah. And you know that all people in this life and they're not getting out alive from this life. So yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think it is the best film we've watched so far this season. And I think it's going to be the best film we've watched for a while just because how good it is. Mm. But I also think it's so well made and it isn't because like, there are documentaries that are heartbreaking and harsh and it isn't that, but it's also such a well-made movie mm. and you get a real sense of, of the favela and of these areas and how city of God changes through the ears you're seeing. I'm really glad about that. I was kind of apprehensive to watch this film because I was living in Brazil. When it, well, I was, uh, I should just come back from Brazil when it came out around the world. Um, and and it was sort of a reminder of that. And then I had the soundtrack on repeat while I was at uni, um, to the extent that I know lines from the movie from appearing in songs, um, like the um, when Lil Z turns up to Blackie's apartment. Um, that exchange, the verbal exchange at the start, is on the soundtrack. 
I was a bit concerned because I essentially haven't seen the film since, well, most end of uni, 2005, God, 16 years. Um, and I have always thought of it as a brilliant film and thought it was one of my favourite films. And that, like, I sitting down to watch it, I thought, well, how can I say that when I haven't seen it in 16 years? Um, so I was a bit apprehensive. I thought, well, maybe it was coloured by... Um, nostalgia by that time in my life and um, I was pleased to say it wasn't at all um, it it just is really good and it feels really modern and it feels like uh, you, were, you were talking about sort of I, I suppose hard-hitting documentaries you get um, and something I think has come on leaps and bounds in the past 20 years is the documentary there are some brilliant documentaries now i think this is just as good as a documentary made in 2021 um and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't okay. feel like this this is a nearly a 20 year old film this this is brilliant it does have a real immediacy to it mm, yeah and i'm sure like because obviously that the movie does lack things like the internet and mobile phones um and things that i imagine if you would make you've got these it would be a massive part of that but somehow it doesn't matter like it just doesn't it just doesn't factor into the world that makes sense yeah um it just feels it feels right and the characters feel believable and the journeys they all go on and it's just yeah, I think the thing that I really like, as I've mentioned before, is the kind of the style of it. Like, like the, the content obviously is hugely important. I think, I think it's hard to express what this movie was like watching in two thousand and two. Mm. You know, like these days we've all seen all kinds of things in movies over the last nineteen years. A lot of things have changed, but back then, like the scene with the kids shooting each other, like. You just didn't see that. That wasn't a thing you saw in the movies. No. Especially outside of, like, you know, you might see it in the odd explanation of film, that kind of stuff. But, like, in terms of Oscar-nominated movies, you just didn't see it. And, you know, I'm the first to admit that, like, I've been, at this point, I've been living in England my entire life. You'd been to Brazil. But this was, like, it was a, a window in another world. Yeah. For me, particularly watching it. And well, it, it still it has that effect. So for me, actually, because, like... The only experiences I had with Velas were like for Velas now are tourist attractions, and that's mm. what you do. You just you turn up and you go on a favela tour and you pay the equivalent like two hundred quid to be shown around by a tour guide. So that's kind of what I, you know, I never went on a favela tour. But that's kind of my experience of favelas, and I've seen seen them for a distance. The only thing I knew about them was that they were places that people went went for tourism purposes. Mm. So this was this was like a real window into a world that I just didn't know about at the time, even though I was living there. And having sort of at this point in my life I lived in I mean I, I personally in the UK I lived in some rough old places. I I lived in Moss Side Manchester at this point in my life. Mm. And so I dealt with kid gangs and that stuff. But this was different. Like the, a lot of the kids who were in the gangs in Manchester were like a lot of posturing, a lot of posturing and, you know, showing off. This didn't feel like this felt like just brutalism. Yeah. To talk about the movie a bit more as, as a film, I think one thing that really, really hit me this time was the use of space and 
architecture that you see that the, you see the city of God through time. And the first one you see, they're all kind of low huts, um, lots of open space. Yeah. And the, the, the story of the Tender Trio. And it feels, it feels a bit more boys' own adventure, that does. It feels a bit more, you know, they're all playing football. And it's all a bit more kind of lighthearted. Mm, yeah. And then as it goes towards the Lil Z era and the Benny era and later on movies, like the nature of the fellow being built up and built up and built up, it gets so much more encroaching and claustrophobic. And everything's done in back alleys and doorways and all of that. And it feels this real encroachingness of the place as the story devolves into chaos and carnage. I really felt that watching it, that there was this real sense of claustrophobia coming from the movie as it went on. More people, less space, weird angles. There's a little kind of Dutch angles. Dutch angle is when the camera's tilted. So you basically tilt the camera off the horizon. And whereas the the early stuff was shot very straight on, you got a lot more weird angles and harsh lights towards the end. It was much more stylistic I suppose mm. as a way to shoot the movie and it really added that air of claustrophobia that you couldn't escape that the, the little Z was around every corner and the war was around every corner and especially at the end right at the end when Rocket's shooting through the um, the wall and trying to, to get the capturing of Z being paid off and then Z being murdered there's a real sense of like I often say it's like a tangible geography to the space it feels real. It doesn't feel like a set. It feels like a real tactile place that in which he is as much trapped as anyone else. That's, that's really interesting because I was thinking, just thinking about the movement between the 1960s and we talked about like this boy's own sort of knockabout era mm. into the 1970s, into his, into the little Z era. Um, it was just like... Thinking about the space, it's all being very horizontal and mm. nothing. It just feels like nothing's too serious because everything is on level. Yeah. And you can run away from the cops just by hiding around the corner. Um, and yet the move from that to the complete different space of the 1970s is marked by the shooting of Shaggy. Yeah. And the camera for the first time rises up. And you see him from above. Mm. And the first time you see, oh, right, this is serious. This yep. matters. So yeah, I hadn't thought about it. It's interesting. That felt like a real watershed moment, Chucky Dyke. Mm. Um, it was a real sense of, like, he was trying to flee this world and his death was a moment that changed. Because before that, like, yeah, like, it was like someone sleeping someone's wife and it was all a bit hijinxy and not, it was not fun. It was still quite violent and horrible. But it felt like the death of something. Like Shaggy dying was the death of this era of mm. of, of gangsters who were a yeah. bit more slapdash and they were there, you know, they were robbing a brothel and it was all a bit silly and they were looking at breasts and then they crashed their car and it was a bit more slapdash, I suppose. Mm, yeah. Um, but that the death of Shaggy felt like the death of of the fun in many ways. And and that was, you know, it, it is, it's, it's such a, you see his pregnant girlfriend in the car watching him, he sprints and runs his shot. And it's, it's really, it's almost worse because you're seeing it in a long camera. So like, you don't see close-ups really much. You just see this long shot of him running and as the bullet hit him. And it just really feels, it has that real sense of documentary. Yeah. 
there's a real sense of you're watching something real happen and this is a changing moment for for the favela in the same way that Benny dying down the line is another change moment in the like Gomez what you're saying about is being like, this sense of artifice and at the same time there's a lot of real brutality to this you have these really nice artificial things like split screens and spinning cameras and yet there is something really genuine to it and it would feel hammy and awful in in a lesser film and it sometimes works, somehow works. Yeah, I think, I think that's, for me, that's why this film has stood the test of time in the way that other films haven't because it marries mm. that artifice. Like it starts in media res as the chicken chicken. And this yeah. standoff with him and the cops and Lil Z, and it starts like it really plays very well with that kind of format. And you can kind of see the kind of you know, Rizzle Dogs Tarantino fingerprints here a little bit. In the same way with, with 25 Watts last week, we can see the fingerprints of the 90s indie movement in America, clerks, that kind of thing. Mm. Here, it's got that real sense of. They just—they know how films work. They're playing with filmic form. They are doing interesting things with timelines and chronology, um, and they can take, like, I'll come back to this again and again and again with that whole scene in which they tell the story of the apartment. Yeah, how it went from this being mother who was dealer and she was taking over and he was taking over and they're taking over and all, down down the, and but they they broke a scene to do that. They, the scene of Little Z arriving with Rocket and. Um, I can't remember the guy, the uh, actor's name. Oh, Blackie. Blackie. And yeah. they, they, they stopped the story to do this diversion, which didn't really add much beyond flavour and story of the world, and then came back to it. It was a really nice moment that's grounded it. I think that's the thing that really came back to me, is how grounded the film felt. It felt real. And, th- and that is how, if you were telling that story to your mates, that's how you tell it. Mm. You'd say, oh, I'm going to stop telling you about the narrative there because I got this point to make about the apartment or about who where the money came from or just the the need I need to bring some colour to this and it feels like all these stories you get the story of the tender trio and the story of knockout Ned and it feels it just feels like someone telling you stories in quite a laid back roundabout way, although it is obviously so crafted. Oh yeah, it just feels like it isn't. And it's it, so like Knockout Ned was a lovely moment because they like, and they introduce him and they go, but it's not time for a story yet. So you're being told yes. a story. Like, you know you're being told a story. The narrator here works in that respect. Like you, you meet Ned, and you're like late of him. And it does feel, yeah. it feels so well, like, almost like playing chess in many ways. That the film's doing a lot of things, thinking about all these pieces up, thinking about who Z is, who Carrot is, who Ned is, who Shaggy is, and all that kind of thing, to bring this ending together. When you cut back yeah. to the chicken scene, and it runs from there, like, you know who everybody is, you know what everything matters is, you know that knockout Ned, and you know how his fall from grace and his death means something and all of that. But I think, I mean, I know we're not, we're going to run out of time soon, but the thing that really hit me was just the cyclic nature of it all. Yeah. The, at the end is the very last scene is the runts, the remaining runts who have killed Z going basically to take over the city of God. This cycle of violence repeats and Ned, who was mm-hmm. this hero ends up getting killed for his sins. He killed the security guard 
he goes up and comes and kills him. But they, there's this real feeling of like you've seen this snapshot in time, but that is not the end of the story. This will continue, continue, continue. Yes, and you think for for a moment you think Knockout is going to be this saintly figure who's not tainted by this, mm. and this could mark a change, and this could bring an end to the cyber violence. And then you see that very quickly he's just one of them. And he meets his meets his end because he is one of them, and the violence continues because he's one of them. It's like the corruption in the ground, the the, the, the desecration of this land will seep into everybody. Mm. And even even Rocket, our hero, like hero in commerce, tries to rob people. Like he uses the point of he tries to rob Ned, can't do it. Tries to rob the shop, can't do it. Tries to rob the man, the car can't do it. Like he immediately fails, but he's still pulled down by that world. Yes. You know, there are very few adults in this world that we see at all. That's a good point, actually. Knock on Ned and Carrot are probably the two uh, that you think of as adults, but they're not very old themselves. And even even in the newspaper, the sort of reporters we meet, um, neither of them seem very old. Yeah. Apart from the dad at the early stuff, like you just, it's just not, it's not about adults. No. No, exactly. Do you have some recognition, Sam? I was going to say that thematically, I don't think I have because this is just so. I can't say something so unique, but anyway, mm. this is this is a brilliant film. It stands out. I can't really think of anything. It's like it feels like Twenty Five Watts was derivative of a number of indie films of the nineties, and you could see the fingerprints of Clark's on it, and. Even though City of God might be affected by sort of crime films like Heat or Reservoir Dogs, then it, it's just it's just a film. It stands stands alone for me. Um, <clears throat> but I do have a couple of recommendations. Like the director also directed The Constant Gardener from two thousand and five. Completely different film, um, but. Also very well made, worth watching. Ray finds Rachel Vice. Um, also, I believe critically acclaimed. Although I haven't, it's it's a novel I haven't seen in a good fifteen years. Um, and Vincent Maraval, who was a co-producer on City of God, was also a producer on The Neon Demon, ah. which we watched a couple of seasons ago. Um, Nicholas Winding Refn film. Um, so I mean we we talk, you've talked briefly about sort of the 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 architecture and the space and the the production ideas behind this film. I think you can see some of that in in the Neon Demon as well. So those are my two for this week. Fair enough, fair enough. I have got two as well. Um, I think you're right. I think this film stands alone in many many ways. I try to think about other other sort of gangster films or crime films that could compare it to, and none felt in the same style or in the same league. Mm. Everything I could recommend felt like a, either cheap pastiche of it or a wildly different sort of film, deadly crime films. <coughs> so I've gone two routes, one of which is an a actually route and one which is a style route. Actually, first of all, um, we haven't talked about her character much in this movie because it doesn't have a huge impact on the um, plot, but Alice Braga plays Angel- Angelica, Angelica it is, who is a, 
a figure of uh, lust and love for Rocket, who ends up dating Benny. She has gone on to move to Hollywood and made many films. Um, but one I wanted to highlight that I don't think gets a lot of love for many reasons is the 2010 film Predators. This is a installment in the Predator franchise. She plays a Mexican, I think, I think she's a, um, like agent, a federale. I can't remember exactly offhand. And basically, some of the most dangerous people of our planet are parachuted onto a, a planet to fight the predators as like a hunt. She is one of the main characters in it. She's very good in it. It's a very, very violent movie. Um, but I think it's deeply underrated. It often gets lumped in with that ear of Alien vs. Predators. And I think there was a movie called The Predator that came out a couple of years ago that was also pretty terrible. But in the, in the sort of the modern era of Predator movies, this is stands down the shining example. My second one is very much a, f- I'm going to say an aesthetic choice. I talked a lot about the sort of the style of the movie and the way it edited and it shot and sort of these flashes and these cuts and how it's different to a lot of other things out there. But one film it really put me in mind of is one we've actually covered on the show before, which is Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. It has that same kind of frenetic editing. It has that same kind of ability to play with look and time and style. Um, it's very stylized, obviously. But it has that kind of cut, 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 that, that really stylized angles and beautifully mm. shot. Yeah. It has that same, cause I think we didn't touch it much, but the, the movie City of God is beautiful. It's a wonderfully made movie. The shots of sort of the kites at dusk are beautifully shot. There's so much movie that is just so well shot, despite it being about most of the things out there. So yeah, that's mine. Romeo and Juliet and Predators. I've popped it in this Discord chat as well. Next time we are continuing our journey through Latin America, stopping off in Peru um, with the Peruvian film Made in USA. Till then, you can um, get in touch with um, the podcast on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at KaijuFM. And you can get in touch with me by emailing prestigefilmpodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next time.